This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? Doing good, Ed. So we're back for another Telerik Developer Digest episode where we talk about happenings around the web and kind of what we're up to. Uh, so speaking of what we're up to, uh, we have a uh, kind of internal meeting coming up, so you and I and the rest of our team will be in lovely Orlando, Florida soon. Yeah, I'm already here. I, I've been here for what, seven months. I've been waiting for you guys. You got there early, <laughs> man. I don't leave yeah. till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have you guys here. The weather looks like it's going to be beautiful. and going to be in downtown Orlando, right near Lake Eola, which is like a big lake in the middle of the of downtown Orlando that you like has a park around it's very pretty um so yeah hopefully nice. the weather will be a little warmer than it is here it's about 30 degrees this morning yeah it's gonna be warmer i guarantee it um we are having what floridians call a cold front um so it got it got cold by florida standards today it's like it's only gonna be in the 70s Oh my, I should bring uh, my down jacket. Yeah, but uh, so when you guys socials. are here, it'll be, let's see, it says 77, 78, 83. So you'll be able to enjoy it. So uh, what, type of, what type of stuff have you been working on lately, Brian? Oh, besides well, I've been planning, planning that meeting. meeting. <laughs> yeah, besides planning that meeting, I am uh, trying to write a bot using a framework um, called superscript it's like these it allows you to build a conversational bot and well as soon as you think conversational bot i'm sure that the first thing that comes to your mind is is the mother uh computer from alien right so yeah i, th like, I think well, we actually talked about yeah. the the um kind of the idea of this project on a previous show right i think so yeah so anyway yeah. i finally got it working because it turns out this is not that easy to do I mean, I, I had gotten um, some of the basic conversation because one of the interesting parts is when you try and break the conversation down. Like I, I open a conversation that leads down a particular path and you have to kind of build that path um, in a way. Um, so, you know, uh, so it knows that this is part of the same conversation. So it knows the answer is relevant to the first question you asked. Does that make so sense? Trying to supply it like context of the yeah. Conversation. So like um, I may be on my fourth or fifth statement, but it's actually still related to that first one as opposed to being a new conversation. So like if you talk with Alexa, for instance, you it tends to be a very like single command, single response type thing. It doesn't know like you you know um, if you say you know Alexa, play me this, and then it play it does or it does something for you and you're like, oh, thank you, Alexa. It doesn't, it's not like it knows a thank you is related to the statement. Not that the thank you matters in that case, <laughs> but the point being, they're, they're simply two, it answers them as independent statements. Hmm. In this case, it's trying to be more conversational, whereas it would continue on and it knows that if you say X, you know, 
um, it's related to the statement that you made before. Anyway, hard to explain. Yep. And then I, I managed to try and break it by having it because it's, it's very much a command response type thing. And I, I'm trying to do something that causes the bot to speak on its own on occasion, which breaks the conversation in a way. So it's a little bit confusing, but we'll see. when I finally get this all written up, it'll, it'll all make sense. So is it, um, is the, the alien theme kind of running deeply through it or is it just, Oh yeah. Kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean the, the conversation that you can have that goes a few layers deep is actually straight out of the, the dialogue of the movie. Nice. Um, and then other parts are kind of inspired by it because actually um, the computer doesn't have a lot of interactions with the people on screen in the movie. So I had to kind of make up what it might actually have said at different points based inferring it. Anyway, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, totally, it's going to be totally useful. It's going to change the world. It's going to be on GitHub <laughs> when you're done? Huh? Yeah, it's already on GitHub, but it's not oh, cool. it's not completely done yet. Nice. Yeah, I've been I've been toying with uh machine learning for the last uh, uh week or two, trying to get some content together for uh, an article on interfacing with uh Azure ML. So I I initially thought I was doing really well. I was like, okay, got into the Azure ML studio, uh built this um machine learning uh, experiment as they're called mm-hmm. and i was like wow i'm getting great great prediction results on uh, on this prediction i've got and then i realized the data was just really bad and um, it was able to predict stuff because the data was just really skewed where, where it shouldn't be hmm. so uh you know there's it has to deal with the loan data and there was a bunch of um fields in there where the amount of the loan was just like infinite like nine 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 so it's like oh i see if it's a, if it's nine 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 that means you're always going to be uh, uh paying off your loan so it kind of correlated some things with that large goofy number that was in there uh once i deleted those um kind of skewed records out of there it was like not such a great prediction anymore so i had to go back to the drawing board and and kind of mm. rewire some things and uh, kind of fine-tune the uh, experiment and get it to predict better. Um, so I got it up to about 75% accuracy now, and uh, I've got some friends that are going to look at it for me and tell me if I actually did it right or not because mm. I have no idea what I'm doing. But, you know, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so <laughs> I've got that going for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's been an interesting experience though. I mean for for all intents and purposes uh Azure Mach- Azure Machine Learning Studio is uh fairly easy to use. I mean we're talking about machine learning that's you know a very difficult subject to tackle um and the user interface and tools for it are very easy to understand and use um even with not a whole lot of knowledge about what's going on. So I kind of looked at some tutorials and example projects. I didn't do the courseware. Uh, I didn't watch the videos that um, are suggested before trying this out. I just kind of do what I always do and jump in feet first and bite off more than I can chew 
And I'm like, I'm going to build a predictive model <laughs> like right away. Uh, I'm dragging and dropping things and trying to see what everything does. Um, and I actually think I have something that's working. So I'm looking forward to writing about it soon. Uh, what's funny is the uh, machine learning part of it was fairly straightforward. But the part that I got stuck on the most, uh, and I spent a good couple hours just spinning my wheels is getting getting the web APIs set up so I can um, serialize and deserialize the JSON coming out of this thing mm -hmm. uh, properly in .NET. And that, that was kind of a surprise. Uh, some of it had to do with uh, the fact that every time you update this model, it has these two widgets that you drag and drop. And one's called inputs and one's called outputs. So the inputs is obviously what it expects to get uh, in JSON format uh, from the, the request. And then the output is the response. And um, every time you update this model, it decides to go back and change the name of the input and output. Huh. So it goes back to the default and it kept breaking my web service. So that, that was a little sticking point, number one. And the number two was um, how Boolean values are treated in the system. So I've got uh, the result of the web API is true-false. And uh, the original formatting of it was uh, one or a zero. So I'm sending back from the web service one or a zero. And um, the deserialization of that choked. And it's like, hmm. okay, this isn't true-false. It's an integer. I'm like, okay, I could either write... Uh, a custom method to parse that, or I can go back to Azure Machine Learning and, and make that a true, false, or Boolean value instead of a one and a zero. So I went back and I, I set the settings for the output to uh, an Azure Boolean value. And uh, when it comes across the wire, it is true, false with a capital T and a capital F. Hmm. So that is not valid JSON formatting. <laughs> so those are strings. Those are not Boolean values. Oh. So internally in Azure, it's true-false uh, to the JavaScript world. That's just a string. Yeah. Um, and uh, when .NET receives that and tries to parse it from JSON, it's like, okay, I can't take a string and make a Boolean out of it. So then I had to go back and tell Azure, all right, don't output this as Boolean value, make it a string. And then I had to put a little custom logic in there of if it's a zero, it's false with a lowercase f. And if it's a true, it's true with a lowercase t. So now I have it working and I'm, I'm ready to write and rant and rave about those silly little nuances so other sounds, people don't have sounds to Sounds interesting. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's some of the, the fun of these things is... Sometimes it's the frustration and the fun is figuring that stuff out, um, you know. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a challenge, but it's been fun. Um, I'm looking forward to writing about it, and that's something that I need to kind of uh, put a plan together to figure out, do I want to do a series of articles and put different UIs on this thing now? Uh, so there's a lot of cool avenues I can take this and, and write different things about it. But uh, the machine learning part of it is just really cool. So um, I can't wait to, to tell other people about the experience and let them try it out for themselves. Pretty neat. Very cool. I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, we've got a we've got some topics from our newsletter today to talk about, not just our own uh, ramblings here. Uh, we have a newsletter that goes out every other week, and uh, we have awesome articles from uh, lots of great uh, authors and around the web as well. So let's kick things off with an uh, article about Visual Studios. It's a popular article uh, from our blogs, or sorry, Telerk Developer Network, so developer.telerk.com. Um, we have an article about Visual Studio. Visual so, Studio 2017. Yeah. yeah. Five features to watch in Visual Studio 2017 by Scott Eddy. Yeah, five um, features to watch. Uh, these are some... Um, really cool features that uh, Scott Eddy thought were uh, important. And I like uh, one of, one of them, especially uh, he's talking about live visual or live unit testing. Mm -hmm. So this is unit tests that are constantly running as you write code. So when you break something, you know it right away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah. He lists a number of them. I, I, I haven't, I'm not a Visual Studio user. I, I use, well, VS Code, so different. How dare you? <gasps> yeah, well, but uh, it sounds like even the, the updated JavaScript editor would be a nice addition for somebody like me. Yeah, the, the JavaScript tools are improving. Uh, one that, that uh, I don't think made the article as uh, a personal favorite of mine is uh, the fact that they've added Chrome Debugger to Visual Studio, mm. so there is a link between Visual Studio and Chrome Developer Tools now. So if you have JavaScript, TypeScript, whatever script, and it's running in your browser, you can set a breakpoint within Visual Studio, mm -hmm. and when the browser hits that piece of code, it will break within Visual Studio and uh, let you debug with the extremely robust debugging tools that are in there. Nice. Um, and you can also go back to the ones in uh, Chrome as well if uh, there's something in there that you'd like to see. But there, there's some really uh, cool stuff that you can do uh, with maps in, in debugging um, TypeScript. Uh, so you get a little more bang for your buck within Visual Studio uh, once you have those breakpoints set up. So that's, that's a really cool feature. Um, and then I've been playing with it a little bit this week myself as well. Uh, and, and some of the other nice features are the templating system uh, that is in Visual Studio 2017. So from your start page, if you're, if you're not a Visual Studio user, you might not be familiar with this, but when you open up Visual Studio, there's a start page. Uh, usually it contains kind of nonsensical stuff. Um, there's like RSS feeds and things that they used to pull in there uh, with like the latest Visual Studio articles on the web. Um, mm -hmm. people like myself, I'm usually abreast of these things before I open visual studio. It's kind of a distraction to open your, your IDE and go, you're like, Oh, I got to go read some articles, but, uh, they've added some cool features to the start page now that I really like. Um, one of those is a file new project, uh, template like search box. So if you want to start a new, um, application, you just go to the search box and, start typing. You're like, okay, I want a uh, ASP.NET application. You start typing ASP.NET and all of the various uh, ASP.NET templates come up. Uh, you know, if you're 
writing an Angular application, it'll be in there, or a Telerik application, it'll mm -hmm. be in there, uh, as long as it has to do with ASP.NET. So that's really cool. That's cool, yeah. And then uh, there's some new project templates around unit testing. So uh, one of the popular .NET test frameworks is XUnit. And uh, this is based off of NUnit, our, our predecessor to NUnit that uh, many people also have used, I believe, in the, the Java world. Um, it, it made it over to .NET, and now it's, it's XUnit. And uh, there's XUnit templates now. So this used to be a manual process before where you had to spin up a new uh, class library, then pull in your XUnit dependencies and start wiring up your tests with uh, I think there was another NuGet package you had to run uh, to actually get Visual Studio to integrate with that type of uh, testing framework. So now it's just a one-button press, and you're up and running. So nice. Cool stuff. Sounds like they're really listening to developers and and putting their feedback in the product, so that's really cool. Yeah, that's the new Microsoft, you know? Absolutely. They, they, they have the feedback loop going finally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have some other good reads this week as well. Um, we have a, a kind of a, uh, controversial type of article as usual, uh, from Mr. Burke Holland, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he, he, it, it could have been controversial, I don't think he really, you know, once you read it, you're like, okay, I, it's hard to disagree with, with his take here. Um, but it's basically, it's about open source uh, versus commercial JavaScript libraries. Um, you know, do, like, basically, he's asking the question, given how much open source there is now, is there even a need for commercial libraries? Um, so... It, obviously, we're a bit biased, being that we sell commercial libraries. And in fact, you know, in part, he talks about Kendo UI. Um, so, so we have a bit of a stake here. Um, but I think if you read his article, I don't think there's any point at which he's he's unfair about it. Um, you know that there are benefits to commercial libraries that sometimes you can't get in open source. And I mean, as somebody who has always been a fan of open source. We used to do a lot to promote open source many years ago, um, and and still, you know, actively gets involved in open source stuff. I'd say, you know, his points are well taken. Things like support, and things like, um, you know, the the kind of the ability to you know ensure that this product is going to exist down the road and things like that. I mean. Open source, there are a lot of really well-supported open source pro um, products projects out there, right? But like there are also, it, it can be hit and miss at times. Um, and I can say from my own experience, it can also be kind of hard to find, um, to kind of determine which ones are necessarily going to be long-standing. I mean, there's easy ones like you know, projects that are, are backed by big companies or foundations or things like that, that you can say, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere. But there's other ones that seem like they're not going to go anywhere and then just kind of disappear. Um, yeah. 
you know, or, or they don't disappear necessarily, but the, but the project kind of stops moving forward, right? Yeah, a lot of times you have like one person that's like the visionary of this thing. Yeah. And they are running with it and then for some reason they get bored or maybe life gets in the way and it kind of yeah. kind of goes downhill after that. Um, I, I think this kind of happened with Apple, didn't it? With Apple? Yeah. It was kind of like one person running the show. <laughs> and then, so you're saying and then it can that, happen to commercial stuff too is what you're saying. Good point there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's definitely. I I think you're right that sometimes there is a um, kind of a visionary person behind a project who, even if there is a larger group now maintaining the project, once that person kind of steps back, the project founders a little bit. You know. Um, so, you know, it, it's, and it's not to say that this can't happen even in commercial products as well, but you tend to, like, once you put some money down, there's some level of guarantee that you're going to at least get, um, you know, some, some level of support and, and not just like, uh, you know, uh, help me with my problems. Like th if there's a bug, it's going to get fixed kind of thing. And we know it's going to get yeah. fixed at some with some level of speed, right? Like, because I've paid for this thing and, and you need to make it work. Um, yeah, well, the pay is the motivation, right? Yeah. Um, when when you're producing a product that people are paying for, uh, they speak with their dollars. So if you're not doing a good job and you're not putting out a good product anymore, Apple, <clears throat> then people stop buying your product. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that speaks volumes and that lights a fire under your rear end and says, okay, what are we doing wrong so we can improve this? Right. And um, there's other companies that, um, like ours, that listen to customer feedback quite a bit. And uh, we roll those ideas and suggestions into our products. And yep. we, we listen very closely to our customers. And we have a developer relations team to interface with people everywhere and listen to what their needs are. Yep. Uh, before they're even customers, so yeah, know, the, the the dollar is the influential you know point in commercial software that says uh, if you're not doing a good job, then you know we're not going to support you anymore. Yeah, and I think Burke makes a good balance of you know this is not it's not to in any way to rag on any open source, um, and we do a lot of open source ourselves between uh, you know Native Script and uh, well. Kendo UI Core. Yeah, Kendo UI Core, and well, we re recently open sourced the uh, UI for UWP, right? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, yeah, and there's also um, uh, is Fiddler open source or I can't remember. Um, I think that one's just a free product. It's free. Uh, yeah, so. the Fiddler Core is uh, commercial. Yeah. So anyway, but the point is, we we do a lot of open source ourselves, so. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously, there's not one kind of open source. There are some projects that are maintained by individuals and there are projects maintained by companies and there are projects even that are maintained by, that are like open source and free, but have a, a model, a business model behind them as well. So yeah, um, look at WordPress, you know, right? Yeah. But, but that there is, there is a place 
for um, for commercial libraries, and and he kind of notes it specifically in things like UI components that are can get complex and and um, need a high, high level of skill to build. Um, there, there's a particularly good fit for that. So obviously, once again, we're biased, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. What one thing I like about um, Kendo UI is that it's an all-inclusive platform so you don't have a, a chart from open source project one and a grid from open source project two yep. and then some form controls from bootstrap and then they're all different apis and uh the the syntax for everything is different um and you know one one thing is a fluent you know api the next one's uh, configuration over uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then it just turns into a big pile of junk. So, uh, I like having, you know, one domain specific language to kind of go yeah. across everything and make it one universal, uh, thing that you can teach new developers that are coming on the project and whatnot. So there's, there's a benefit to that. Yep. Speaking of open source, speaking of open source, um, uh, Native Script 3.0, right? Yeah, 3.0 is on its way. Yeah, you may be wondering if you're a Native Script fan, how why we jumped from 2.5 to 3.0. Um, and so this this post by Georgi Atenasov, um, it uh, it explains why the jump to 3.0. And part of it is because uh, there are breaking changes, and and so these breaking changes don't necessarily affect everybody it's really breaking changes that affect a portion a small portion of um of plugins and so it's really going to affect if you're a plugin author it, it might affect you um and it goes into detail and we're what one of the things we're trying to do is is make sure the word is out there that you know what these changes are and and allow people to to make sure that they're their plugins, if they have plugins that are may be affected, um, will get updated and be ready for 3.0 release. Um, but that being said, all of this is being done for really big performance improvements. Um, there are other kinds of improvements like uh, a local snapshot builds on Android. Um, you know, more Chrome Dev Tools features. Uh, there's a new installer for Windows, which actually we wrote a, was also on the NativeScript blogs the other day. Um, so there's lots of other cool stuff coming. Um, so there are really good reasons for these breaking changes, as you know, you would hope that we don't just introduce breaking changes for nothing. Um, but and and I think that you know, I I like the fact that they're getting out there ahead of this because even though I think. We could have made a less, not much of a deal of it because it's it's really only going to affect certain plugin authors for the most part. Um, they're trying to make sure that they're well ahead of of any issues on this. Yeah, it's it's really uh, a nice to see them getting ahead with the uh, plugin authors. Um, I think in the article they mentioned that they were looking to get in touch with everybody in yeah uh, some type of formal forum. Uh, to see how they can help folks move forward and, and make sure they're they're uh, 
projects are compatible and stuff. So that's nice to see. Yep. Um, and you know, Windows developers, we love our GUI installers. So yeah, that's, well, I that's love an GUI awesome installers. Change. I mean, it makes makes life easy. I'm not a I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sort of a Windows guy. I split my time, but but still. I mean, who doesn't love to open the command line and type five or six different prompts? Oh, God, and yeah. A little um, zigzag spin around the bottom of the screen. Uh, not that you get that with native script. I think it's uh, I think it's down to one or two commands and you're up and running. Yeah, it's gotten a lot easier. It used to be really, really, really tough, but now it's 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 gotten better. But uh, um, how and, easy and I, is double clicking install? <laughs> yeah, nothing's easier than that. And and they said it's it's between a fifty and four hundred percent increase in speed. So at least we narrowed it down to a very narrow range of yeah. Fifty and four, between fifty and four hundred percent. So specific. <laughs> well, I guess it's it's substantial either way, right? Yeah. Um, um, uh, so hopefully it's it's all worthwhile. So there's there's probably some operations that are already somewhat fast, and they're just faster. And, you know, you're something that takes like four milliseconds. You're not going to see a 400% increase in performance <laughs> or not notice it quite yeah. so much. Now it's uh, done so. before it even runs. Right. It's, we've invented time machines, folks. <laughs> Native script is a time machine if you run the right commands. Yeah, some of the longer running processes probably uh, we really knocked back and uh, made run a lot smoother. Uh, I would imagine things with you know that do graphics calculations stuff like that we've we really yeah i know uh, tight, tighten the nuts and bolts on i know they they were particularly focused on android performance so um i don't know if it specifically talks about about that but that's something they've been working on so partly the differences could be uh on different platforms and stuff like that so yeah that could be as well like uh, especially uh running angular with it um, that could be a, a not saying that I know anything. I'm just saying it could be one of those yeah. uh, places well, where things were improved. That's what the show is about. It's about speculating about things we don't know anything about. Yeah, it's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> we get to pretend we know stuff. <laughs> uh, I need another couple nights at the Holiday Inn Express. Yeah, I get paid every nothing. time I say that. I, I've forgotten how to code, <laughs> but I'm going to go say the Holiday Inn Express. This episode brought to you by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyway, but it should be good stuff, and and coming soon. So, um, if you're if you're into native script, check out the post, and and you can actually we'll be releasing like uh, preview builds of it. So if you're really curious about about the changes and whether they'll affect you, we'll you'll be able to get that stuff too. Yep. And. Uh... We we also have some events coming up. Um, Do we? Yeah, we are going to be taking part in Angular Attack, which is coming up sometime next month. Uh, so this is like a hackathon type of a event. Where you weaponize Angular? <laughs> um, so I guess there's a 48-hour hackathon, mm -hmm. uh, April 22nd, 23rd. So this is an online hackathon, um, and we have partnered up with Angular Attack. Uh, so there's going to be prizes, um, and 
you get to compete against teams uh, that have uh, one one in four one to four members and uh, you get to build an app and there are going to be some scoring guidelines and if you win you get some really cool prizes um and if you don't then you get to learn angular <laughs> and uh it'll be cool to see what kind of apps people build for this and what comes out of it so we'll we'll be part of that next month and then f- later in the year uh i will be at code palooza talking about net uh, along with sam basu uh, one of my good co-workers will be there talking about xamarin and mobile development so if you're in the louisville area check out codepalooza.com and uh, see if you can get some tickets. Come out and see us. Say hello. Awesome. Yeah. I wish I could say I was going to be at some events, but um, I am on a temporarily temporarily taking a break from events for the moment. So You are in Orlando. It is an event every day. You go to Disney every day, don't you? Yeah, every single day. In fact, I'm, I, we need to get off this call because I need to go to Disney right now. You're you're, get, you're in line, getting ready to get on the teacups, aren't you? Yep, I swear <laughs> I do this every every week. I do the show from from Disney, so I'm I'm gonna get on Space Mountain. I've been waiting. You know, thankfully the lines are long, so I've been waiting the whole time. Actually, that's what we should do while while I'm down there next week. We should do a podcast from the teacups. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we. That would, I mean, it'd be amazing for us. Probably not so much for the listeners. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, broadcast live from the teacups at Disney's Magic Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, Sounds we're like going to be busy meeting. It's not going to be that fun. I know. So. One could dream. Yeah, plus we're in downtown Orlando. We're not in Disney. It's so. a sad day for all of us. Yeah. But that will be with you know, it's, it'll be different. You, you, <laughs> you get to see a different part of the city, you know, that everybody says they go they go to Orlando, but they never actually go to Orlando. Yeah, we'll be with our awesome team. So I'm sure we'll have fun, have some interesting conversations, uh, as we always do with um, the amazing DevRel team at Telerik. Yeah, it's always fun. It, it's always good. You know, we have... Uh, um, we have good conversations, sometimes tough conversations, but but good nonetheless. When you have amazing personalities like Burke Holland and uh, and Jen Looper and uh, some of the other great folks on our team, I mean, how can you not enjoy yourself, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to be there, so yeah. You know, it's always a party when I'm there. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that wraps it up for our show today. Uh, Check us out at developer.telerik.com. Make sure you sign up for the Telerik Developer Digest newsletter. Uh, We pick a couple articles to talk about every other week from that newsletter, but there's lots, lots more. Uh, So get on there, check that out. Uh, Give us a thumbs up or like at uh, iTunes or SoundCloud and have an amazing weekend.